Hello and welcome to the Healthcare Executive Insights Podcast. My name is Elliot Sloan with the McCallum Group. And today we have a very special guest, Mr. Randy Scussell, the CEO of North Houston Family Medicine. Randy, thanks so much for taking some time to chat with us today. Please tell us a little bit about your professional background, and then we'll talk more about North Houston Family Medicine. Sure. Well, I, I was one of the rare uh, folks in the healthcare world that came out of corporate America, and I was a big project manager so years and years ago. And I got into healthcare by kind of by default about 25 years ago, managing some projects. And the one thing I liked about healthcare is that, you know, I mean, as a project manager, uh, process improvement, process change guy, you go into organizations and you change things. And then you, um, six months later, a year after you leave the project, they're calling you back, come back and redo it. In healthcare, it's different because what you do in healthcare is you're actually impacting people's lives down to the patient level and the family level on patients and, and people, it, it impacts their life, even life and death even. So, so it makes a huge difference. And, and I got kind of, um, to be honest with you, I just really loved it, you know, because of that, when I fell into it and I kind of took to it like a duck to water. And I was very fortunate and had some people that really mentored me and, and saw my strengths and, and really helped me grow my career. Well, if you if you like a lot of challenges, you're in the right space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for darn sure. Tell me a little bit more about North Houston Family Medicine. Uh, how big is the operation? How many providers? How many patients mm-hmm. are you seeing? Now, our providers see an average of 25 to 30 patients a day, um, depending on the, on, that's in primary care. On the specialty, obviously, it's a lot less because those appointments go longer. Um, but we have we have 18 providers. We do everything from primary care to um, cardiology, neurology, pain management, ENT. You really have um, every specialist under, under your Pretty room. much, yeah. General surgery, we, we got it all. And what we try to do is we try to have this continuum of care. So all of our providers are employed by us. And there, what we do is, like I said earlier, is we do that continuum of care. So all of our providers collaboratively communicate with one another because we're all in the same EMR system and it's very easy to do that. So we're very, very effective at maintaining patients and really getting them to understand the, the significance of being preventative in their care instead of reactive in their care. So you have 18 providers throughout different specialties. Mm-hmm. Um, how many patients do you think you're treating in a, in a year? Oh, that's interesting. Last year, we saw around 45,000 patients. Mm-hmm. So with these other specialties that you mentioned, you have cardiology and pain management, mm-hmm. and I, I believe OBGYN. Are those separate brands or does all nope. the specialties? All North Houston. All operate. it's all within our within our group. They're all employed with North Houston under one NPI or group NPI. Got it. When you came aboard, was that part of your role as bringing in new specialties? Yeah. Um, so I came here in 2016, and I was here for several years, and then I I left for about 18 months, and I came back in October of 2020. And one of the reasons, uh, well, when Dr. Moparty recruited me back in 2015 or 16, um, one of the things that attracted me most was I always had the concept of doing integrated care. 
And I figured that's the future. You know, I was a I was in the hospital administration world before I got into clinical and and I was there for a long time. And and I looked at hospitals are basically it's a Band-Aid approach, you know, to care because they're filling beds in the hospital. That's what they do. You know, ER and elective surgeries. That's what that's what feeds them. And I was looking at it going, well, if you tie in with a hospital and you tie in with primary care and you tie in with the specialty, then everybody's talking to one another. And it's very, very efficient because then you don't get unnecessary things happening or you're catching things before they can happen. Dr. Mopardi had that, had the same concept. And when he and I sat down in my initial meeting with him, he's like, he's like, really, Randy, we need someone like you that knows how to bring together the specialist and the, and the primary cares and, and, and help them understand the overlap that they have for one another and how that can benefit a patient. And that's kind of what I did. So talk to me about, uh, you know, promoting some of these specialties, um, you know, primary care and family medicine, you might not necessarily need to advertise so heavy to get patients through the door because it's more of a routine thing and people have infections, sinus issues, acute pain issues all the time. But for the specialists, whether it's interventional pain or cardiology, typically people are going to do homework. They're going to do a little bit of research. They want to find a group that really is laser focused in that specialty. Um, What's your uh, experience in having to um, do a lot of digital marketing or other forms of advertising to keep the specialist busy? Yeah, we've just really kind of in the last uh, year and a half, we really have dove into uh, the social media. And so we're, we have a company that we contracted to do our social media. Um, okay. And they're, they're really starting to get it going now. It's taken a few months for them to kind of get, yeah, you know, we, there's always the doubting Thomases, you know, where, where we've had with some of our providers and they're like, ah, you know, on the specialty side, our, our specialists are very well known and believe it or not, it's pretty self-feeding. But um, on the primary care side, it's fairly self-feeding with, like I said, with the ERs. And, and then it's also because people talk and they go, oh, I have this wonderful um, provider that I go to in, in, in the Humble area. And, oh, well, who is it? And that's kind of how it, how it snowballs. It sounds like you've grown to be a huge operation with 18 mm-hmm. providers without having to spend a lot of money online because you have such a good reputation because mm-hmm. it's family medicine. A lot of people are sharing uh, their experiences with their loved ones and people are coming to you through patient referrals. Mm-hmm. Your doctors have uh, really impressive credentials and, and um, uh, background. So when mm-hmm. people find out that you're bringing in some of these doctors to the team, they're just following these providers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tell me, uh, what would you say has been some of your biggest challenges with the growth of the practice over the few years? I would say the biggest challenge that we face overall, even more than staffing and all that, is getting the insurance companies to pay us our fee schedule and to do it consistently. You know, so so you got to realize that, you know, there's when it comes to your claims that you send in, we will send in, um, let's say I send in $100,000 in claims this month or this week or this day or today. And I take $100,000 in claims that I send in and 
of that, I'll be lucky if I get paid on 40% of those for swipe, you know, because they are asking for more documentation. And I can tell you, I've done this before as we evaluated, this was some years ago, I did this, but we evaluated two patients, very similar in their, in every, every aspect. They work for the same company, said the same exact benefits, and they would audit one patient's chart asking for more documentation than the other patient would get paid. And, and, you know, I look at the insurance companies and, and I'm sorry, but there's no consistency in why they're doing it. Otherwise we could accommodate to that. And, and we could make adjustments to make sure that maybe it's a documentation issue with the provider that prompted that, or maybe it was a different, uh, uh, coding thing that they did that our billing people didn't do properly or something like that. We can make those adjustments to fix those types of problems, but they're so inconsistent and there's no, um, there's no line in the sand that says don't cross this because that's going to cause us to ask for more documentation. You know, they just do it arbitrarily. Yeah. You know, the, the reality is, insurance policies and plans have been designed to confuse the consumer stall up and bottleneck the practices. Oh my gosh. You just hit the nail on the head. That's exactly it. If we can confuse the consumers enough and we can bottleneck the staff, they'll just take a small, whatever we pay, whatever Whatever they pay us. Yep. Yep. And that's exactly what they're doing. And if they think that, that the, you know, the unfortunate thing about healthcare is, we're too busy taking care of patients to be able to chase down, to be able to basically build a consortium of healthcare um, professionals to raise our hand and show up in Washington and go, this is not right what they're doing. Right. You know, you you need to bring an army. You need to bring an army when you're going against the carriers. That's exactly right. I mean, you know, let's face it, man, they got attorneys that and whatnot that are, that they can they can drag out paying you as long as they want, yeah. and and no one can outlive them because their pockets are so deep. So, do you think value based care programs will actually lower the cost of care for the insurance and the payers, which would then increase profits for the practices, which should then decrease costs for the patients? Do you think that is plausible? No, I don't. And, and I'll tell you, here's here's why I think that. The value-based care is awesome in concept, and it's awesome for the patients, and it's awesome for the providers. But the insurance companies now, like, for instance, at the end of 2016, um, heading into 2017, the president at the time signed a, 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 um, an, an, it was an amendment to the Affordable Care Act, because the Affordable Care Act had all of these preventative care thing, um, ancillaries for providers that they could provide that was going to be covered at 100%. Okay. Great example is um, we would do this annual wellness that um, physical on patients. And if they had any family history of cardiovascular issues or they had hypertensive and they're morbidly obese or any of those things, we could basically do do a full-blown echo on them and, yep. and do a carotid and all these things. Well, 
at the end of 2016, at the ninth hour, at, it was literally signed at the end of uh, the year in, in the ninth hour before during the holidays when nobody's paying attention. And it basically took the, all of those tests that were covered at 100% with the Affordable Care Act, and it pulled them off of the 100% the payment if they were doing their annual wellness, took it off. And it's because the insurance carriers came in and said, hey, we got a lot of providers out there that are taking advantage of this. And, yeah, you know, I don't think we need to pay for that. They can, they can, oh. they can get the patient to pay for it, you know. The and that's the kind of lobbyist. stuff that happens. That's correct. And, and, and this is where it's just getting out of hand. And, and, uh, you know, we're not, that's, and that's my point. Here we are doing this value-based care and, uh, we're trying to do the value-based care. And in doing that, we're, the value is we're going to make them more healthy and we're trying to do that and we get penalized for it or the patient gets penalized for it. Now they got to pay for that, which they ordinarily, which they didn't have to do for the last two or three years. You know, so that's that's where I'm just saying, you know, there's no room in healthcare for politics. Zero. Yep. What do you think needs to happen? This is my last question. I know okay. you're super busy. Uh, what do you yep. think needs to happen for the providers and patients to be able to actually challenge the efficacy or the uh, the way insurance has been? creating their plans and policies for so long that's really been tarnishing everyone's quality of care. Yeah. Uh, you know, the number one thing is everybody needs to know what their plan is. Okay. Study that plan. Hold your insurance company accountable to it is number one. But, you know, the number two, I, I would say the other thing of it, the other side of it is we as a society in America, you know, Socialized medicine doesn't work. That's not, that's sure. not effective. Um, you know, it, you're never going to get the best people and brightest people no. to, to become providers if that's the case. No. Socialized medicine doesn't work. We can come up with a solution for this, but I don't think that you pull the executives of the, the big five insurance companies, and I don't think you pull them in the, in the room when you're going to make that decision. I think what you do is you pull consumers and you pull providers in and you say, how can we make this better? And that, that's when I'll truly believe that they're going to do something to make it better is when they do that. Because the Affordable Care Act was basically written by the insurance industry. I mean, it's unbelievable. 100%. One I think, is. You know, the providers, they're trying to do what's right for the patients. Yep. The patients are starting to realize that they need to take a more active role yep. in their preventative care. Yep. Uh, now we just need the insurance providers to yep. really wake up and realize it's about patients, not profits. Exactly right. And, well, and you know, they can still make profits, though, Elliot. That's the thing. You know, I mean, what four hundred? I think it. I think United Healthcare last year profited net profited four. That's after paying everybody everything four hundred million dollars. <laughs> How much money do you have to have, you know? And, and, you know, I don't want to, I don't, I, I'm, I'm a capitalist, man. I want people to be profitable. I want people to be successful and I want people to be able to build businesses and do those things. But seriously, to that level, come on, man. Healthy you know, competition is good, but this is absolutely, this is a great, absolutely. I, I agree. I agree. And, you know, and then the other thing that they did is, you know, the Affordable Care Act gave them carte blanche to take, Catastrophic health coverage that used to pay maybe 150 to 300 dollars a month for, 
they relabeled it and made it their their um, mainstay of all of their plans with five thousand dollar deductibles and whatnot, and they charge premium rates. You know, I mean, you have one, you know, a healthy person like yourself, you're going to pay if you went out to Blue Cross and Blue Shield or one of the big companies and you just wanted to buy a plan on your own, you're going to pay anywhere from $800 to $1,200 a month and your deductible will be $5,000. A young person that's really healthy, will they ever touch that deductible in a given year in any capacity? So basically what they're doing is they're throwing away $800 a month as a, if let's say it's 800 bucks a month, they're yes. throwing it out the window because they'll they'll, never and, hit their and they're paying cash for all of their, all of their care for the entire year. So really you're paying $800 for rolling the dice to say, if something catastrophic happens to me, I'm not going to go bankrupt. Yeah. You know, the scary thing too is now in the ER, specialists are just not taking calls anymore. So you have families mm-hmm. showing up to the ER and they don't have a neurologist. They don't have yep. a plastic surgeon. Yep. They don't have a cardiologist. And they're just being told, sorry, you're going to have to go to the next hospital that's 80 miles down the road that's because correct. we don't have a specialist here. Yep. So it's it's when you need the specialist the most in an emergency situation, yep. sometimes they're not going to be there. And it's because exactly. of the insurance companies. Exactly. Exactly right. But, you know, nobody, we're kind of the frog in the pot of water on the stovetop, you know, and they turn down the burner. You know, it's, that's what it feels like some days. So, so my, my, my my chief nursing officer just walked in and she's laughing because she knows that I get on my soapbox and I'll talk for days on it, you know, so. Well, this is a a juicy topic for the whole industry and it's important that practices, providers, and patients band together. Like you said, we got to do something to change the direction we've been heading um, because it's gone on for too long and it's not sustainable. I would agree. I totally agree. Totally agree. Elliot, thank you so much for, you know, I I feel very honored that you wanted to call me and interview me about this stuff, but I'm very flattered. Thank you. Thank you very much for today. Randy, it was my pleasure. We uh, thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and thanks for sharing information about North Houston Family Care. We'll certainly be in touch soon. All right. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.